0: The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. This week we're coming back to dig in a little bit deeper in Acts chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have one, we've got a Bible on the ends of the rows for you. If you don't own one, take that make that yours. Last week, you saw a miracle happen. We made it through 41 verses in time, and uh, I wanted to come back and kind of dive in a little bit deeper, because in Acts chapter 2, there's so much going on. i titled today, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and no, you're not going to hear Boogie Wonderland. But I started thinking about how God starts bringing all this together. Um, He has a plan and desires to reconcile and redeem the earth, and He has... All of these things to create this and make this happen that come together in Acts chapter 2. You've got the Holy Spirit coming and it says, As tongues of fire, they hear a sound like a violent wind. So you have earth, wind, and fire. So you have earth as the goal and God's glory being poured out on the earth. And then you have two elements that come together that create a burning uh, combustible process that cannot be stopped that started in Acts chapter 2. I mean, I'm a a boy. I'm a guy. I grew up playing with fire, you know. And uh, there's two things that will start a great forest fire is a spark and wind. You talk to firefighters, and those are the the elements that if you have the spark and then you have the wind to fuel it, it's very hard to stop a forest fire. Let me tell you something. We're going to read and study about Acts chapter 2 where God ignited a mission for the earth through the church. And it has not been stopped and cannot be stopped. If you look at uh, church growth and even church decline globally, some of the areas where church is exploding is South America. One of the largest places of church growth is China. In China, this is modern history. You have China creating an environment where they want to kill Christianity. Pastors are being killed. Church leaders are being killed. The church is forced underground and it's exploding. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the igniting power that happened in Acts chapter 2 that continues to burn today. And, And the beautiful thing about it, it is only the Holy Spirit that can make this happen. We won't see church growth. We won't see the world change. We will not see the earth change by conformity and criticism. I love our church because of diversity, and then the unity that the Holy Spirit brings. We are all diverse. If you start seeing churches on a death cycle or decline, that church is going to have people who look exactly the same, who act the same, who do the same things. There's conformity. Or that church or Christians are going to be looking at other people and criticizing everything that they do. Well, I don't live like like that, so I must be better than they are. And we start criticizing. The only way that the earth, the world will change is when the Holy Spirit ignites something inside of his body and it begins to move outward. And we're going to see that happen in Jerusalem. We did the overview last week. We're going to dive in to to some of the essentials of the um, day of Pentecost. The one thing I want you to understand as we move through this, and the Holy Spirit is igniting this mission, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is this to glorify Christ in the life and the witness of the believer. When the Holy Spirit lights that fire inside of us and starts to empower us for a generation, for our communities, for our neighborhoods, for our workplaces, for our schools, for our families, his ministry is to glorify Christ through our life. The life is what other people see us do. You guys watch me and we love... we fascinated with facebook and we're seeing life happen on facebook the witness is what i explain about what's going on in the life you're witnessing so the power of the holy spirit and the ministry of the holy spirit is to glorify christ glorify jesus through my life and when people see man there's something going on can you help me help me understand this and then through our witness man i don't have the ability to do this this is jesus we always make a beeline to Jesus when we start talking about our faith. Let me say it this way. When we engage in any conversation, our goal is to make a beeline to Jesus. Not argue religion or argue politics. Or There's so many things in our society to argue. We polarize so many things so we can set up and create these arguments. Let's make a beeline to Jesus. Let's go right down the middle. And let's share Jesus. But there's some things going on that I want us to walk away and understand. I call them the essentials of Pentecost. Let's start up in verse 1. We're going to do verse 1 through 13. Next week, we're going to break down Peter's message and his teaching uh, to the people in Jerusalem. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let me, let me help you with what's going on. Last week I told you that they had come into Jerusalem uh, and the, the disciples, the apostles were waiting in the upper room and this promise that God had said was coming is coming. It happened at the day of Pentecost. The Day of Pentecost wasn't a new experience uh, that was created in Acts two that we look back. The Feast of Pentecost was going on in Jerusalem at this time. When you read Leviticus twenty three, there is three festivals that God said to the Jewish nation that you are to observe. What is amazing about these festivals is thousands of years before how they foreshadow Jesus. Uh, my group is my community group is the Bible in ninety days. And we are reading like crazy. And in this past week, I was reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and I start Deuteronomy. And through all of this process, man, I am seeing even then how Jesus is foreshadowed. And the nation of Israel that God is laying out all of these processes to bring Jesus and grace into the world. And in Leviticus 23, God says, these are the festivals that I want the nation of Israel to observe. The first one is Passover. Passover was looking back at the moment when God called them out of Egypt. And there were the plagues that, that came on the, the country and the people of Egypt. The last plague was the death of the firstborn. And what happened is Moses spoke to the community under authority of God and said on this night you are to slaughter a lamb and you are to put some of the blood on the doorpost and the frame and then you are to have a meal, you are to be ready to go, this is how you are to eat, this is what you are to serve during the meal. And even to this day it's called the Seder Feast. And at Passover around Easter Good Friday, you will hear about this Seder. We did a teaching a couple years ago where you got the little sample cups of what would be served at that meal. Some of y'all are like, no, I'm hitting Mickey D's afterwards. Thanks a lot. But he said, this is Passover. And the Jewish nation would look back and say, that is when God brought redemption and freedom to his people. They brought us out of Egypt. The next one was first fruits, the festival of first fruits. That would happen on the first day of the week after Passover. So that would happen on Sunday after Passover. You see where this is starting to line up? So, Good Friday's around where we celebrate the Passover. Jesus was crucified for us, the blood of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world it was not just placed on a doorpost, but placed on our life. The festival of first fruits would have been the Sunday after Passover. And this is a foreshadow of Jesus' resurrection. This would be the Jews bringing their first fruits to the Lord. Paul uh, references Jesus as the first fruits from among the dead. He rose up out of the ground. His body did not see decay. And then the third festival that is commanded and given in uh, Leviticus 23 is the Feast of Weeks. What he said was, you count from the first fruits day, seven weeks, seven Sabbaths. They covered weeks by Sabbath. So you count seven Sabbaths, seven times seven is 49. I know it's a little early to do math. And then the next day after, plus one. So seven times seven, 49, plus one. Remember, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Some of y'all are like, I remember that. <laughs> Rhombus. I don't know. I had to work that in for you. Um We've got some teachers representing, so they're excited that this, this old guy can still, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. If you don't know what that is, just type it into Google. It's a good time. <laughs> um, but Pentecost means 50th, 49 plus 1, on the 50th day after the first fruits. Now, this is celebrated in the Jewish nation for when God gave the law to Moses. And what is beautiful about this is... What I am seeing in the Old Testament, God would give us the law and he would say, be holy as I am holy. I'm reading this going, there is no way to do this. There's an absolute need for grace. And on the day of Pentecost through the Holy Spirit, that grace gets poured out and it it all comes together in this beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus. And so what's happening in Jerusalem, they're in one place because Jesus had told them, go to Jerusalem and wait. He knew what's coming. The Feast of Weeks is coming or the Feast of Pentecost is coming. And the Jews are going to come from all nations and they're going to come into Jerusalem. It's estimated that the population of Jerusalem grew by 900,000 people for this feast. I mean, Jerusalem, they don't have the infrastructure for it. Could you imagine Saginaw growing by 50,000 people? Infrastructure issues. You see 35, 820, 114, 635, George Bush Freeway, 183. Should I go on? 20, 30. What nation is not under, or what interstate is not under construction? We're talking about infrastructure here. 900,000 people. This is beautiful when you think about the provision of God and the way he planned it and how he could see how he is going to ignite this mission that will not be stopped. Jews from every nation are coming there. The Holy Spirit comes down. What seems to be tongues of fire separate on them. There is this sound like a violent blowing wind. What God is doing is saying, I'm igniting the spark that will light up the church so that she will glorify me. On the day of of, uh, Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, the priest would be presented two loaves of bread, and these would be as an offering before the Lord. The beautiful thing about these two loaves and how they foreshadow the unity of the church poured out by the Holy Spirit is all these ingredients that come together for bread. I am a bread guy. I'm just going to say that. If there was a carb diet that would work, I'd be all up on it. I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of bread. I like, I'm not a fan of rye bread, I don't know, but wheat, white, uh, sourdough, focaccia bread with a little bit of olive oil. And some of you are like, "Oh, some of y- I'm going to get emails now. Why you make me so hungry? He would be presented these two loaves of bread. What's beautiful is how what you see in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit bringing unity to the Jewish believers as they submit to Christ. And then in Acts chapter 10, we're going to see that extended to the Gentile, two loaves of bread. And then the unity becoming, Paul says, we are one, we are baptized. There's one spirit, there is one loaf, there is one body. The unity that happens. The interesting thing about these loaves of bread is there is yeast in this bread. In the Old Testament, yeast equals sin. And this is just saying in the church, the church is not perfect. If you are looking or expecting for a perfect church, I can't even help you with where to find that. The church has a perfect head who is Jesus Christ. We are the body, the church, and we are imperfect. Uh, Maybe it's just how the yeast activates. I don't know, but we get all all in our messes. We all have it. And it's a beautiful foreshadowing of what's happening, and then you have the Holy Spirit that is being poured out. Now, let me explain something when we start getting into these essentials. The day of Pentecost is like, Calvary, and that is a once-for-all experience. Jesus died on the cross, and he says, I bore it and will not bear it again. He walked the hill. He was crucified. He was laid in a tomb, and he was resurrected. He said, it is finished. The work is complete. The day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descends, it's a completed work. That unity has been brought. When you read through the Old Testament, you see that the Holy Spirit will empower specific people for specific purposes and then he will withdraw. What you are seeing here is a new covenant being made that Jesus speaks of when the Holy Spirit will move in. That first essential is the Holy Spirit moved in to take up residence in the believers. I love what John writes in his gospel at the beginning when he talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And he says, and he made his dwelling among us. One of the versions I like to read is uh, the message, and it is a paraphrase. It is not a translation. It is a paraphrase, but I love reading it, and one thing that John says of Jesus in this is that the word became flesh, and flesh moved into the neighborhood. I love it, but to draw the parallel, Jesus was only leasing the space, and then he was going back to the right hand of the Father. And he says in John 14, the Holy Spirit's going to come. It's better that I go and he comes. But the Holy Spirit is moving in. He's buying it. He's, he's moving in permanent. He's taking up permanent residence. And so as Jesus ascends on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends and he is not withdrawing. This is a new covenant. We are now in the, uh, a church age we in the Holy Spirit age. If you think of it this way, in the Old Testament, there was a, a temple for the people. In the New Testament, what you see happening right here is now there is a people for the temple. Paul said, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is coming to take up residence and move in. That's an essential. That happened. We would not pray for the Pentecost to happen again. Because he's already living here. The Holy Spirit's already here. If we start praying, you know, Holy Spirit, come back to earth. you be like, I'm already here, man. I've been here. I showed up in Jerusalem, about AD 33. I haven't left. I'll go back home someday. It's going to get real bad. I can keep going. Um, the second part is the Holy Spirit identified the believers with Jesus to form the body of Christ. This is that baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I know we get into a lot of church discussion, church debate. There's denominational boundaries that have been created over this issue alone. There's yeast in the church right there. The Holy Spirit came to bring unity to the body, and then we end up fighting and dividing ourselves over it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is this. There's two meanings for the word baptizo. It's the Greek word. The, the literal meaning is to submerge. Like when we do our, our baptisms in the parking lot, you know, in our fabulous, fabulously ghetto inflatable pool, the water doesn't save you. We submerge you in the water. And we've, And I know there's churches that do sprinkling and everything. The reason we do submersion is we believe that is biblically the most accurate form because that is the way Jesus was baptized. We are not taking away from... If you were sprinkled, we're not taking away from that. It better have meant something in your life because it better have had the figurative meaning at the heart of it and the figurative meaning is to be identified with. Whether you were dunked or sprinkled, you better have made a conscious decision that you have submitted your life to Christ, and through this act of obedience, you are being identified with Christ. The baptism is this. It's an outward expression to the world that says, I'm His. And the figurative meaning is already done. I'm identified with Christ. When Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus explains this process about being reborn. Some of you may have grown up in church and said, are you, you've heard the thing, are you born again? Are you born again? Uh, I run into people that are like, what does that mean? It is the Spirit giving birth to Spirit. So when we humble ourselves at the foot of the cross, when we come to that point, when we see Jesus for who he really is, I really believe that all we can do in that moment is worship him. We take all of our Americanized junk that we put on Jesus and we say, here I am. I'm broken by my sin. I need your cross. I need your grace. I can't do this anymore, God. I am broken. And it's not fixing ourselves so we're good enough to come to him. It is coming in all of our mess and all of our brokenness and saying, here I am. It's responding the way Peter would say, and he says, you are my Lord and my God. And What happens in that moment is the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the church. He submerges us into the body of the church, and he identifies us with Jesus. So that becomes his DNA. Paul said we are sealed for the day of redemption. We are marked as his sons and daughters. And then the Spirit filled the believers with power for witness and service. This is, this is where you would see what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, the way to understand the difference here is the baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to His body. The fullness of the Holy Spirit means that my body belongs to him. See, when we come to Jesus in our mess and we say, put me back together, I need your grace. We're saying, here I am. I belong to you now. When we're sealed and marked for the day of redemption, he said, you belong to me now. And I belong to you, we belong together. And then when we allow him to fill us in these times, we're saying, I belong to you. Use me. Because remember, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, when he empowers us, isn't to make us look like a fool. It's to glorify Christ. You can YouTube Holy Spirit and have a field day watching how some things can get out of control. There is control when the Holy Spirit empowers you because he's going to accomplish the mission to glorify Christ through your life and your witness, through how you live and how you explain how you have the power to live. The Holy Spirit's always going to make that beeline to Jesus. So the baptism is final. The fullness is repeated. It's it's like this breathing. It's going to involve it it all. So we submit ourselves to Christ, and then we say, I'm baptized into you. I'm baptized into the body. Now keep filling me so that I have the power to live this life beyond myself. And then what is beautiful is the Holy Spirit spoke in a way that broke through barriers. When we launched the church, and we still pray this, we pray for a diversity in our church. And God has blessed us with a diversity in our church. Not just gender. We prayed for for there to be an age diversity, for racial diversity, for socioeconomic diversity, for racial diversity. I mean, think about this. How much we experience on a daily basis cultural barriers. And the Holy Spirit empowers them to break through all of this. There are 15 nationalities that are listed here in Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to read them all. We did that last week, but I'm going to read this to you. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, because this was one of the festivals that God said, when you observe it, go to Jerusalem. You'd think God has a plan, doesn't he? When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And then it lists all of these nationalities that are represented. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. We'll address that next week when we break down Peter's thing. But what's beautiful about this is the Holy Spirit is breaking through barriers. Have you ever experienced a language barrier? It's hilarious to watch. It's not fun to experience, but it's fun to watch because it, it, if, if you are trying to speak to someone who does not speak the same language, it's, it's this crazy process. You know what happens? We start enunciating and we speak louder. You know, it'd be like, I need to find the bathroom. And they're like, You know, I'll look at Heather, can you help me? You know, and, I, and then, and then so we do that. We will go into our offices and we will experience a barrier. Maybe they've seen Christianity abused. Maybe they've seen you fall. Maybe they need to help, your help breaking that barrier down with the power of the Holy Spirit going, you're right, I, I'm not perfect. And I got to keep going back to Jesus. You see, the beeline back to Jesus. Well, I don't like Christianity because they're all hypocrites. Yeah, you're right. This isn't. Make the beeline to Jesus. But how we start screaming louder at a culture who doesn't understand. I mean, we'll we'll sit in church and we think we've got this morality thing figured out. And we start screaming and enunciating morality to a world that is, is lost. And they don't speak that language. We try to speak these holy terms. Well, if you are justified and sanctified, therefore you're righteous. And they're just like, I don't don't know, what what is he saying? Let the Holy Spirit empower us to speak. And when he comes on you, it's not going to get weird. It's going to bring clarity to it. I love what Paul writes in Ephesians 5. Last week I said... uh, Be you being continually filled. Let me me just read it to you. It says, "Uh, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit or be filled with the Spirit. What Paul is saying, and it's literally translated, be you being continually filled. It's like breathing your lungs. Think about your lungs. You've got to exhale and you've got to inhale. Be you being continually filled. So it's, God, I need you. God, let's pour out all the things we don't need in my life. And it's not going to get weird. Now, just as much as you could Google Holy Spirit and see how some things can get weird and out of control, you you will see this today if you go to any um, big game, a.k.a. Super Bowl parties. Uh, Yeah, I said that without the express written consent of the NFL. (laughs) Come and get me. Adam, edit that out because I am scared of the NFL. But there's something else that Paul knows will make you act a fool. And a lot of times if you just Google hold my beer. You will see some crazy things are happening. When a man is filled with strong drink he loses control of himself. And ends up being ashamed. I I hope Uh, you have the wisdom to not find yourself in a situation where maybe on a a Saturday morning you're having to call your friends and say, I'm sorry, I made a fool of myself last night. But when the Holy Spirit empowers you and is filled with the Holy Spirit, He has self-control and glorifies God. There is control. The Holy Spirit is not a hijacker. He is a gentleman. In this moment, these tongues of fire and this blowing wind was very purposeful. And I I still believe that these apostles could have said, I don't want to do it. And the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and said, all right. But they were so willing to submit to God for his glory, not theirs. Because by the way, the Holy Spirit's more concerned about your character than your comfort. (coughs) And he's more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. I mean, that that is the way he operates. So could it be uncomfortable at times? Yes. Is he going to do anything to confuse who Jesus is? Absolutely not. Anytime the Holy Spirit empowers a believer, it's to glorify Christ, not to make him look foolish. If that starts happening, I'm not questioning the Holy Spirit, I'm questioning the person and asking why they're acting like that. See, these are the essentials of Pentecost. These were the things that were wrapped up in it that God was laying and igniting in that moment that says, I'm now striking the match and this this wind is going to fan this flame and the earth will be changed. And this is where we become a part of it. So my, I'm going to pray in a minute. I'm going to pray for this. Maybe you've never humbled yourself before God. Maybe, maybe you've dealt with a lot of baggage and religious baggage, but you've never humbled yourself to God and said, you know what, I've never, I've never experienced Jesus for who he really is. You know, Because what's beautiful about the day of Pentecost is the Holy Spirit is the one that convicted the hearts of people. It's not our job to convict people of their sin. I know I got sin in my life. I don't need you telling me. You know you got sin in your life. You don't need people telling you. But the Holy Spirit goes right to the heart. And he says, let's deal with this. I'm going to pray first. Some of you, maybe the Holy Spirit's going, I love you. And I want you to be my son or to be my daughter. I want you as a part of the body of Christ. And maybe in this moment, the Holy Spirit's saying, no more yeah, buts. I know your sin. And the cross of Christ covers the sin. And we just have to humble ourselves before Him. And maybe for the rest of us, the second part of the prayer is we need to re-surrender. And this is like breathing. we got to continue to go back and say, fill me. We've already been baptized and marked and sealed for the day of redemption. We're God's sons, but we need the power to live like it. And so we need to go back to the well of living water and say, I need you to fill me up. I need you to glorify yourself through me in the life that you've created me to live. So let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity to to be in the truth of your word we thank you for the Holy Spirit. That uh, even as the Holy Spirit inspired these words of Scripture, is it, is it work on the earth and it work in this room, and, and maybe even just tapping on the hearts in this room. Maybe in this moment, God, you're tapping on some some hearts and saying, "Ah, let me in." I know you're tired. I know you're hurt. I know you're broken. But I can fix it. I can bring purpose to your life. I can bring peace to your life. So Father right now. We just say. Here we are. We're sinners. We're broken. But we humble ourselves, And we say to you Jesus. That you are my Lord and my God. Thank you for walking the hill of Calvary and dying on a cross for me and saying it is finished and that the work is complete. And I ask that the grace that was poured out on the cross covers me. And we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that on the third day, the day of the first fruits, you called Jesus from the tomb that arise we thank you that you, have, you brought him to the right hand of the Father and through the Holy Spirit you continue to empower us to live a life that glorifies you Father for the rest of us in this room maybe we have submitted our life to you but we're not living like it maybe we have being mar- been marked for the day of redemption and been adopted by you but we're not living like your sons and daughters. I ask for your grace to cover us, forgive us, and empower us to live a life that glorifies you. Help us to live the life you've created us to live because it will bring you glory. So, Father, we humble ourselves now. We ask that you ignite your Holy Spirit in us. be quenched. We love you and we thank you. and We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.